0: glad that you're here tonight. We're grateful for the opportunity to be together. I do want to make mention of the fact that Wade Webster is with us tonight, and we support Wade in his mission work, and we're glad that he's here from College Station, and we want to know that we appreciate the opportunity to be a partner with him in his work, and so very grateful for that work. We're going to be talking tonight. I used as the text tonight, Matthew 28, 18, where Jesus said all authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And the reason that I use this passage of scripture is because ultimately everything that we do in faith and practice, we understand that it is to be in accordance with the authority of Christ. And there are a lot of folks in the world today that when you bring up a number of topics or subjects, particularly in the moral and doctrinal religious realm, the response quite frequently is, does it really matter? And there are a lot of things that people in our world today don't see anything wrong with, quite, quite frankly. And yet, the question ought to be asked, what does the Bible have to say? You know, in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, Paul, in writing to the church at Rome, asked this question, what does the Scripture say? So when we talk about whether things matter or not, religiously, doctrinally, morally, whatever the case may be, ultimately it goes back to simply this. What does the Bible say? So I want to begin by, first of all, noting some things in the moral realm. Does it really matter? Because there are a lot of people in our world today, when you talk about moral topics, we begin with marriage. Did you ever think that you would live in a day and time when you needed somebody to give you a biblical definition of marriage? In my wildest dreams, I never thought that I would have to tell people, Look, biblically speaking, marriage is between not two men, not two women, but between a male and a female. Well, somebody might say, Well, does it really matter? I mean, what's the big deal? We're talking about two individuals, maybe two males. They love one another. They're committed to one another. What's the big deal? Same thing could be said about two females. They have committed their lives to one another. They are flying under the banner of marriage in this country. So again, the question, what does it really matter? What's the big deal? Let me just ask you, if you would, to turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. And I want you to read with me some passages of Scripture because as we ask this question, does it really matter? It's not about what I think or what anybody else thinks, but ultimately what matters is what does God think? What does God say? In Matthew chapter 19, you remember the Pharisees came to Jesus and they were tempting him they were trying to ensnare him in their speech or rather in his speech and they asked him they said is it lawful for a man to put away his wife to divorce his wife for just any reason or for any cause now I want you to listen to what Jesus responded or how he responded to this question he responds with a typical question have you not read there are a lot of people today when we discuss this subject does it really matter it really hinges upon the question have you not read there has to be a divine there has to be a divine standard an authority if you please that authority is not what I think it's not what Washington says it's not what anybody says it's what God says and so listen to what Jesus said have you not read but he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. Now you remember in Genesis chapter 2 after God created man. God said it's not good that man should be alone. And so God said I will make him a helpmeet, That is a suitable companion. Did God make for Adam another male? No. No the Bible says he caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. And while in that deepened sleep. God extracted a rib and made the woman and brought her unto the man. And God said, well, again, God said it's not good for a man to be alone. And so when God presented Eve to Adam, Adam could say, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from the man. Now, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus goes all the way back to the beginning. He said... Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So what then does God have to say about marriage? Well, God said marriage is between a male and a female, between a man and a woman, isn't it? Now in verse 6, God said, What therefore he has joined together, man is not to put asunder. So God is saying His intent for marriage, one man, one woman for life, isn't He? The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they wanted to know, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? And So Jesus said, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted, allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Again, going all the way back to the very beginning. And what God is saying is His original intent Again, one man, one woman for life. Now look at verse 9. In verse 9, Jesus said, And I say unto you, and by the way, when Jesus makes this statement here, he is inserting his divine authority. You remember what we read a moment ago, Matthew 28, 18, All authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. So the Lord here is saying, look, I say unto you, by my authority, whoever putteth away, divorces his wife, except it be for fornication, and marries another, does what? Commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So again, God's design for marriage, one man, one woman for life. God has said, though, that in the context of marriage... If one of the parties is unfaithful, the innocent has the right to put away the guilty party. The innocent thereby is free to remarry another person given the fact that they are eligible for marriage. The guilty party, however, has no right to be remarried. Why? Because that's what Jesus said. Now, somebody says, well, does it really matter? I mean, is it, is it that big a deal? I mean, after all, God wants me to be happy. Listen again to what Jesus said, verse 9. And I say unto you, again, inserting all authority, whoever divorces his wife, except it be for fornication, and marries another, does what? Commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now, can we understand that? Yes, we can. That's exactly what Jesus said. Now, somebody might say, well, that sounds awfully hard. That sounds very narrow-minded. Look, the Lord is the one that made this decree. It's not what I think. It's not what somebody else says. It's not what somebody else thinks. But rather, it's up to what the Lord has to say. And so, listen, if you would, to the continuation the disciples said, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. And Jesus said, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. Now look at verse 12. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. There are eunuchs who have, been, who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that there are situations in the context of marriage where one of the parties has been unfaithful. That party has been put away by the innocent. Now, the innocent has the right, but not the obligation to take them back. But Jesus is saying the guilty party, if he or she wants to go to heaven, they have to live a celibate life. Now, again... It's not what I said it's what the Lord said a lot of folks in our world today ask the question what's the big deal let me tell you what whenever Jesus said this is the way whenever he says this is the way it is it's a big deal he means it and so it's not what people think not what the government says not what some of our brethren may think it's what does the Bible have to say so we talk about marriage Divorce. Did you know that there are multiple, well, multitudes of people in our country today around the world that are living together without the benefits benefits of marriage? In other words, they are, as we say in our common vernacular, they're shacking up. They're living with each other. A lot of folks. Now somebody might say, Well, what's the big deal? I mean, after all, this is the 21st century. You've got to understand times have changed. Is that right? Have times changed that much? Does it really matter? Let me just give you a couple of passages to chew on. Turn over, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says. And I want you to read it in black and white so that you'll know this is not what I'm saying this is what God in heaven is saying. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 Paul said this is the will of God even your sanctification that you should abstain from fornication. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Paul said flee fornication. Now look at Hebrews chapter 13. Listen to what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 4. The writer said, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. Now listen to him. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. What does that mean? It means that if, that if I'm having sexual relations outside the marriage relationship, then I'm in deep, 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 trouble spiritually speaking why because that's what God said now somebody might say well I don't see what the big deal is I mean after all God wants me to be happy after all I need to I need to decide on my own whether or not I really want to marry this person listen you want to decide if you want to marry somebody date them get to know them But you can't shack up with them. You can't live with them. And let me tell you what. There are some people within the church who live together. That's wrong. It's sinful. You can't do that. You need to understand. Let me make it as plain as I can make it. God will burn your hide. Can we understand that? You shack up. You live together. God will burn your hide. You need to know that. Doesn't no matter if you're young or old, black, white, rich, poor, doesn't matter. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Hebrew writer is saying. God's saying, look, you want to go to heaven, you're going to live this way. Somebody says that's narrow minded, that's old fashioned, that's archaic. Maybe. Might be. But we're not talking about what the world says, we're talking about what the Bible says. So is it a big deal? Yeah, if you want to go to heaven, it's a big deal. It's a real big deal. Again, it's not what I think, not what somebody else thinks. It's what God thinks. And by the way, God is the creator of the universe, isn't He? God made this universe. If God made the universe, and he did, doesn't he have the right to determine the limits and the limitations by which we live? Doesn't he have the right to be the governor, the superintendent of the universe, to say, this is how I want my people to live? Does he not have that right? Yes, he does. Now, somebody might say, I don't like it. Okay, here's the alternative. You go and create your own universe. And you decide how your people will live. But here's the deal. You can't do that, can you? So that means you're going to have to live according to God's will if you want to go to heaven. Well, what about lying? A lot of folks in the world today don't have a problem with lying. They don't have a problem with shading the truth a little bit. What's wrong with telling a white lie? A lot of folks in the world today don't see any problem with it. In the corporate world, in the sales world, people will hedge on the truth every day. Why? To close a sale. To somehow consummate a business deal. Is that how we're to operate? Does it matter? I mean, what's the big deal? Look, we're in in a dog-eat-dog world. We've got to understand, sometimes you've got to do this. All right, let's look at Revelation chapter 21. Look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. John said, But the fearful, the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters. Now listen to what he says. And all, A L L, all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. What did he just say? He said, if you tell lies, if you lie, whether it's a white lie, black lie, big lie, small lie, doesn't matter. If you lie, what's, what's the, what's the, what are the consequences? You'll go to hell. And somebody says, well, what's the big deal? Well, we just read it. The big deal is God said we can't lie. Why? Because in Ephesians chapter, in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul said, wherefore, putting away lying, let every man speak what? Speak truth with his neighbor. Well, somebody says, what's the big deal about stealing? I mean, after all, what's wrong with me taking something that belongs to somebody else? After all, maybe they don't even need it. Maybe I like it. Maybe I want it and so I can have it. Somebody says, well, it didn't cost that much. They weren't using it. Does that determine whether it's right or not? What does the Bible say about stealing? What does the Bible say about being a thief? Look if you would at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Listen if you would to what Paul says beginning in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what did Paul just say? Paul just said, if you're a thief and you continue to steal, you have no part in the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, let me just add this in very quickly. A lot of folks in the world today don't have a problem going out partying on Friday and Saturday night. Some people are partying through the week. And they don't have a problem going out to the bars and living it up and carousing and all that kind of stuff. What Paul just say? He said, you do that kind of stuff, you're not going to heaven. In Romans chapter 13, Paul talks about those who engage in revelry. And that carries with it the idea of carousing, encompassing drinking, engaging in conduct that takes place into the wee hours of the morning. All around this city, lots of folks out partying on Friday and Saturday night. And there our young folks, I would say this, nothing good ever happens after midnight. Nothing. I know that when you're young, you want to stay out, you want to go out and have fun, fun with your friends and whatnot. But let me tell you what, a lot of trouble happens after, after midnight. So I asked the question, does it really matter? Does it really matter? Does it matter about marriage and divorce, homosexuality? Does it matter when we talk about stealing and drunkenness and lying? I mean, does it really, what's the big deal? You read it just like I read it. And the big deal is, God said, we can't engage in that kind of behavior and go to heaven, can we? So what about in the doctrinal realm? In other words, the religious realm. There are a lot of things that people today accept. And there are a lot of things that go on religiously that people will, quite quite frankly, ask the question, what's the big deal? For example, with regard to truth. Did you know that we live in a society today that advocates tolerance at any and every level? And there there are those in the world today that have embraced this philosophy of pluralism. Anything goes. And the idea is there's no such thing as absolute truth. And so what's truth for you may not be truth for me and vice versa. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. You live according to your standard of truth, and I'll live according to my standard of truth. Now, that makes a pretty speech. Sounds good on a political platform, but I want to ask you this. What's the Bible say? Is there a body of truth that we are to respect? Well, let's just see what the Bible says. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. In verse 16, Paul said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we talk about the inspired Scriptures. Now Peter would tell us in 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 that God has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And then I think about Jude and Jude 3. Jude said that we are to contend earnestly for the faith. That is that body of material, that body of teaching that comprise what we call the New Testament. So, does truth matter? Does it matter what I believe? Does it matter what I practice? Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32? The Lord said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make make you free. Now in John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. So there is a body of material that we would call truth. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth so does it matter what I think about divine truth it does doesn't it now there are a lot of people that would wave it off and say it's it's no big deal you don't have to worry about truth All right, let's just test that for a minute what about with regard to Jesus there are a lot of folks in the world today that will tell you you know what Jesus was a good man and I'll give you the fact that he was a man of compassion, a man of love. He was an individual that broke down social barriers. He was interested in the plight of the downtrodden. He was a tremendous teacher. He had all these great attributes, but he was not the Son of God. And there are those that will say, you know what? He is on a plane equal to Muhammad or Gandhi or some other, quote, unquote, religious teacher. So what are we to think? Does it really matter what I think about the nature of Jesus? All right, let's, look at, look, let's just look and see what the Bible says. Look at John chapter 8. While you're turning to John chapter 8, you remember when... Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked His disciples on one occasion, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked this question, But whom do you say that I am? And Peter said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. So in John chapter 8, verse 24, Listen, if you would, to what Jesus said. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. When Jesus said, Unless you believe that I am, in other words, unless you believe in my deity, what will happen? You'll die in your sins. And if you die in your sins, Jesus said, where I am, there you cannot come. Jesus was, is the Son of God. Do you remember in John chapter 9? Look over in John chapter 9 for a moment. Jesus gave sight to a man that had been born blind. As a result of this, he drew the ire of the Pharisees. And so toward the latter part of the chapter, Jesus found the man that he had given sight to. And he asked this question, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. What you think about Jesus will ultimately impact where you spend eternity. Think about what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now there are people in the world today that are going to tell you it doesn't matter what you think about Jesus. They're going to say it really doesn't matter whether or not you follow Jesus or Muhammad or Gandhi or whomever or Buddha. Well, what did Jesus say? Does it really matter? Does it matter what spiritual leader I identify myself with? Listen again. Look at John 14, verse 6. Listen to what the Lord said. Jesus said, I am the way exclusively. I am the truth exclusively. I am the life exclusively. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now I want you to look at Acts chapter 4, verse 12, very quickly. In Acts chapter 4, In verse 12, note if you would what Luke records. Neither is there salvation in any other. Did you hear that? Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What what does Scripture say? Scripture says, if we're going to be saved, then we've got to look to Jesus. There is no alternative. There is no other Savior. So somebody says, does it really matter? Well, you decide. Does it matter? What's the big deal? Well, if you believe what the Bible says, it's a big deal. Because the Lord's saying, look, if you want to be saved, then you've got to go through me. You want to have a relationship with the Lord? It's only through me. Well, what about the church? I hear a lot of folks talk about the church today. I hear people say, you know what? You go to the church of your choice. doesn't matter. A church is a church. It doesn't matter. And then there are some that would say to us, one church is as good as another, and you don't even have to be a member of the church to go to heaven. Okay. Sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, after all, what's the big deal? Church is church. Does it really matter? Let me just link to this salvation. Does it really matter what I do to become a child of God? Well, look at Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, and you gotta, you've got to get in your mind this occasion, the circumstances. Acts chapter 2 is a pivotal point in history. Up until this time, everything has been pointing to the coming of the church, the kingdom. Jesus had promised in Matthew chapter 16 that he would build his church. Jesus affirmed that. So in Acts chapter 2, we have people assembled in the city of Jerusalem. The time is right, the place is right. The apostles are speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Peter's sermon is recorded for us. And the central theme of his sermon is Jesus of Nazareth, a man that had been approved by God among them by miracles, wonders, and signs. Peter said, which you've seen. All right. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That was, as we would say, the climax of his lesson. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now think about all the different things that are said, religiously speaking, about what a person must do to become a Christian. What do you typically hear? Well, a lot of folks say, accept the Lord Jesus into your heart, recite this prayer, and you'll be saved. Now, Peter had been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, had he not? Matthew 16, 18, and 19. Peter, speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I want you to look, if you would, at verse 4. The Bible says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues, As the Spirit gave them utterance. In other words, they were speaking in languages previously unknown to them. They are inspired men. And on Pentecost Day in the city of Jerusalem, the time about A.D. 33, they're preaching the gospel. The church is born. And Peter stands up with all authority. They ask him, what should we do? And what did he say? Here is exactly what he said. Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now somebody says, you know what, I just don't get the baptism deal. I mean, what's the big deal after all? Let me tell you what the big deal is. If there was some other way, don't you think Peter, speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would have said that on Pentecost Day? The very first day the church came into being. Doesn't that make sense to you? Do you really think if there was some other way? Don't you think if there was some other way he would have announced that? What did Jesus say? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Well, what did he mean? He meant exactly what he said, didn't he? He that believeth, number one, and is baptized, number two, shall be saved. So what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is you want to be saved, you'll be baptized, Mark 16, 16. Well, what's the big deal? Well, if you want to be saved, you'll be baptized so that your sins will be forgiven, Acts two thirty eight. Somebody says, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is you want to go to heaven, you need to be baptized so that your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. Look. There are a lot of folks in our world today that will throw up their hands and just say, I don't see what the big deal is. Well, let me tell you what. If God said it, that settles it. Whether we believe it or not, whether we realize it's a big deal or not, it is a big deal. Now, what about the church? Look at verse 47. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The implication is if you're not in the church, you're not among the saved, are you? Somebody says, I don't see the importance of being a member of the church. Well, Jesus said in John chapter 3 that those who are baptized enter the kingdom of God. He said you can't enter the kingdom without being born again. Spiritual birth. Baptism into Christ. By which you contact the blood of Christ. Romans 6 verses 3 and 4. Now look if you would, very quickly, at the book of Ephesians. I know our time's gone. Look at Ephesians. I've called attention to these verses because I want you to see it in black and white. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to read it. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 5, in verse 23, the Bible says that the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and listen to what he says, and he is the Savior of the body. That means if you want to be saved, you have to be a part of the body. Well, what's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. Well, somebody asks the question, well, how many churches are there? Look, if you would, at Ephesians 4, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. So there's one head and there's one body. How do you get into one body? You're baptized into Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, the Bible says, By one spirit we all baptized into one body. So can you be saved outside the body of Christ? Well, what the Lord say? No. Does it really matter what we believe? Does it matter if we're a member of the church or not? On Pentecost Day, when the people obeyed the gospel and were added to the church, if you had asked them, what church do you belong to? What do you think they would have said? What what church would they have said that they were a member of? Christ Church. There were no denominations in the first century. If you had told them, or if you had said to them, Aren't you a member of this church, or that church, or some other church that we see on the street corner? You know what they'd have said to Hugh? What church are you talking about? I've never heard of those churches. Why? Because there was just one church. What happened? from the faith when people fail to respect scripture you know what happens when they fail to respect scripture they depart from truth when they depart from truth sometimes they get to the point where they just say I don't see what the big deal is I mean does it really matter so I want to ask you what we've discussed tonight does it really matter Does it matter what you think morally? Does it matter what you think doctrinally? You know what the answer is? It does matter. Here's what the Bible says. I want you to read this very quickly in closing. John chapter 12, verse 48. In John chapter 12, in verse 48, listen, if you would, to what Jesus said. And Jesus is the Son of God. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Do you know what's going to judge you? Not what the newspaper reports. Not what piece of legislation Washington pushes through. Not what you think in your heart. Not what the majority says, but what God says. So does it matter what we believe and what we practice? Yes, it does, if we want to go to heaven. So tonight, if you're not a New Testament Christian, I want to urge you, do what they did on Pentecost Day. Look, it's as simple as ABC. What did they do? They believed Jesus to be the Son of God. They repented of their sins, as instructed by Peter in Acts 2, verse 38. They were baptized into Christ so that their sins were washed away, Acts 22, 16. God put them in the church, Acts two, forty-seven. And the exhortation, just be faithful until death. And if you do that, you'll go to heaven, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful, and maybe your life has been out of harmony with the will of God, then our plea to you you tonight, come home. We'd love to pray with you and for you, and God will abundantly pardon 1 John 1.9. Won't you come as we stand and sing?